Well, thank you for the opportunity to speak today. You didn't give me that opportunity, but it seems that God has. And so I want to take us on a little journey. And uh, the first part of my talk, well, it should only be two points. That was all the difference that we needed to win on Friday night against Collingwood. <laughs> I was waiting to see Mick Hammond because I knew he was going to give me some. <laughs> all right, I want to change the focus right now. Okay. And uh, imagine an army that um, when you see a battalion or a, uh, a people in an army, you see weapons, you see body armour, you see armoured vehicles, you hear of, of uh, testimonies of courage, you know that there's a battle plan. The people have to be vigilant because they don't know when the, uh, the enemy is going to take a shot at them and they have to be resilient to keep going. And let's complicate this matter a little bit. Take off their radios and take off the ability to communicate with their comrades or their, um, their platoon members and their ability to talk to the command post. What do you get with a, an army that can't communicate? You get isolated people who are frightened and who are unable to take up the battle in a strategic way. There's a parallel for us as Christians that God has put us in an army and he's given us body armour and weapons and a battle plan and vigilance and the need for resilience. And we read about that and we quite often see the passage in Ephesians 6 where you get the six pieces of body, or the six weapons, five of them defensive and one attacking. I don't want to major on it, but I do want to just recap those five pieces of army um, armour. Our battle is against Satan's lures and schemes and we don't know when they're going to appear and we don't know how they're going to come but we just know that we need to be ready because it will happen. It will happen. Quite often we hear stories of people who have had a... An, they know it's a, a spiritual attack against them and they just didn't realise how it was going to come. So let's look at uh, this Ephesians 6 passage. But do I... These are some of the ways that we often see the devil's attacks coming in our society, in our lives, in our families' lives. And, and as parents, many of us are aware, we've got to be vigilant for our family against these kinds of attacks. Attacks against our freedom, attacks against our minds, attacks against our emotional state. Institutional offences about Christianity, about the gospel and about the Bible. Attacks against your reputation. Uh, someone shared a testimony this week that their, their reputation has been absolutely obliterated and we recognise that it's in a spiritual attack. Attacks of condemnation. Attacks of confused identity, attacks of depression and anxiety, of predatory behaviour against minors. These are all ways that we're assailed. 
And in verse 10 of uh, Ephesians 6, we read, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We are strong in his power and his might. Our defence system is in him. We can't do any kind of defence in our own resource. We run out very, very quickly. We attempt that way, but we get our courage from his power and his might. Verse 11, put on the whole armour of God. And this is one of two reminders that you need to put it all on, not just a piece of it. That you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. We need to be vigilant. And in a moment, I'm going to broaden the spectrum, not just vigilant for yourself, but vigilant for those around you, those in your connect group, in your relationships, in your neighbourhood, in your church, in your home group. We need to be vigilant to stand against the devil because he is cunning, he is deceitful, and he's trying to destroy your faith. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We need a battle plan because we're actually up against a ranked army that starts with the principal, the devil, and then working down through these levels of attack against us in all kinds of places. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armour of God, a reminder, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. We need resilience. We need resilience. And um, I, I think that um, the reason why I was inspired to, to look at these particular passages is that I think that we probably haven't been totally tuned in to how some people are being affected and, and we, we're not quite sure how to help them. We need to develop resilience and encourage people to be resilient, the ability to withstand when the days are evil and we stand because Jesus is our power and our might. Now, verses, verses 14 through to 17 talk about the weapons. They're illustrative weapons. They're obviously written at a time where you're talking about a Roman soldier. We're going to contextualise that a little bit. They show the power and the, and the might of Jesus so that we can stand and reign. Now, it says in verse 14 to put on the belt around your waist, to gird your waist with truth. Don't think of the belt as something like that holds your pants or your skirt up. Think of the utility belt, the one that has the pockets and the clips and everything. And so you clip all your tools and your weapons to it and you're at hand. You notice the police quite often wear a utility belt that's actually jam-packed with all kinds of devices, including capsicum spray and handcuffs and all those things they need. But it says, put on the belt of truth. In other words, you need to... We need to be surrounded by truth so that when something comes against us, a thought that tries to uh, attack our faith, it's truth that I've put on that, that is, the, um, is the reality of God, God's reality for you. It's got to surround us. And verse um, uh, 
not yeah, uh, the body armor and put on the breastplate of righteousness. That breastplate is the one that protects our heart and soul from fatal blows. The shield of faith comes up in verse 16. That's the first line of defence. When a soldier holds a sword, a shield, they're holding it from long-range attacks on your faith. But when, you, when they get underneath the shield or bypass the shield, they go for your heart and your soul. And this is where the deceptions are fought, where you've got to overcome deceptions. You need the belt of truth that surrounds your life to defend you. Um, verse 15 talks about putting on the, the feet, uh, sorry, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. You can't run, you can't walk if you're tiptoeing around and you need the assurance of the gospel. 1 John 5, 11, 12 and 13 says, um, and this is the testimony, God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. We're in a place of assurance. Assurance gives us the ability to walk into faith. We can actually continue to advance because we're assured of God's presence. I have the Son. I am his disciple. I am his disciple. He is my Lord. I am assured by his word. I'll illustrate this a little bit more in, in the next part. I've already said the shield of faith is verse 16. Um, above all, take the shield of faith with which you can quench all the fiery darts. And that's the ability to stop these attacks before they get to your life. Because I'm putting up defensive faith. Now, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what God has told me. I'm assured because I take up the word of God. If we don't have faith, then the enemy can move into close combat and attack our head and our chest. Verse 17 says, take up the, the, the helmet of salvation, and that's protection for our renewed minds. Once we become a Christian, we don't only get a, a new life, but we get the opportunity to have a renewed mind, renewed thinking, and you've got to protect that, new, that renewed thinking with the gospel, with your salvation. I am a new creation, Galatians 2.20. I am a new creation in Christ. I am a new creation in Christ. Galatians 2.20. Um, I know it. And it says something. Anyway, we'll come back to it. It'll, it as soon as I go off, it'll come straight away. <laughs> That's how memory works. Eh? And then the sword of the, the spirit, which is cutting up and killing all arguments. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I knew it was there. Thanks, Russ. <laughs> it's a test. A test of my memory. 
I always write them down on the side, except that I went for one that I didn't have on the list. When I was a Christian about a year, uh, I was uh, with some guys in Hobart and they had a visit from the JWs and they invited them back. So I joined that next visit and we thought we're going to get these guys. So we had truth, we had the Bible, we had our salvation, we knew we could do it. Anyway, the next visit, they, they came, they talked, and uh, we agreed to meet again. And the next time they brought along a scholar, one of their scholars. <laughs> oh, yeah. The first visit, our faith quenched their arguments. The second visit, or yeah, their se- my second visit with them, came under... They came under our arguments of faith with theological challenges, especially to the existence of the Trinity. I was done. I didn't know what to do. This was a body blow. This was under the shield of faith and straight in for my heart and soul. And I didn't know how to respond. I was a new believer. My core beliefs were challenged. The sword was being used against me. It disturbed me, it disrupted me, and my, my discipleship took a hold. Because if I, can't, if I can't reconcile this, then I'm believing the wrong thing. Maybe I've, I've become a Christian and I'm such a fool. I've done the wrong thing. And I took up, uh, someone showed me how to use a Strong's Concordance and a Vine's book of words so that I could understand, and I started studying and studying and studying. And then one night... In my property in, in Pottery Road, Lena Valley, the word opened up in Colossians 2, 8, 9 and 10, and I found it. And Colossians 2, 8, 9 and 10 says, But beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. There it was. The fullness of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, exists bodily in Jesus Christ. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Man, I tell you what, did I dance around my flat by myself that night? It was fantastic. The truth now surrounded me and held me in my, my discipleship was back in place. The righteousness of Christ was now protecting my heart and gave me his identity. I was running with, the, with peace in my life. My mind was renewed and not deceived and my assurance was based on the Bible. So we've just spoke about six pieces of armour. But one of the things that I am looking at is the seven assets of the Christian. And it's because it follows these pieces of armour. Most people only do the six, but there's a seventh. It's the ability to communicate strategically with the Holy Spirit and with God. Imagine Jesus going out in his identity, with all the tools at his disposal, but when he was tested or directed to go, what if he felt disempowered and left alone? It just didn't happen. 
In the temptation of Jesus, it says he was led, Matthew 4, verse 1. He was led by the Spirit after his baptism into temptation. Why was he led by the Spirit? To get tested? Well, yeah, but who was with him all the way through the temptation? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was with Jesus and the Holy Spirit will be with you through whatever you go through. 1 Corinthians 10.13 is a verse that I memorised when I first became a Christian. No temptation has seized you or under, undertaken, overtaken, undertaken. We're not talking Formula One now. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able. But the temptation will also, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. I've always struggled. How do I get through this temptation? How do I bear? How do I make it through? It's because I never understood and I wasn't baptised in the Spirit when I first became a Christian. But now I understand how the Holy Spirit overshadows all those things and helps me go through every temptation, every trial, everything that comes against our lives, the Holy Spirit is present. He is the most underrated partner in all that we go through. We don't even think of him sometimes. And he's there. He's there. He's there. He was there for Jesus and he'll be there for you. If we go back to the Ephesians 6 passage, it says in verse 18 that we should be praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful of this to the end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. The Holy Spirit is the open channel to God. The Holy Spirit helps us with what I need. That's what supplication is, asking for your needs to be supplied. The Holy Spirit is helping us keep an eye out for our fellow saints, for all the saints. One of the disadvantages, I think, of all the illustrations of that army soldier, the Roman soldier illustration, is that it's always a single soldier. And that's why in this backdrop one, I liked the idea that there was a force. We don't do Christianity alone. We do Christian, not that one, the previous one, actually. <laughs> uh, that one. There's, we're in a force. We're in an army of faith. We're not meant to do the journey alone. People who have been through it and have realised the fellowship they have with other Christians understand what I'm talking about. And I'm encouraging us to be in the spirit, to be in the spirit for one another. Verse 19 and, and for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that, it may, and in, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. The Holy Spirit helping everyone who wants to speak boldly. 
or everyone who speaks the gospel, everyone who tries to do something. In our Silence Breakers course, one of the things we've just done in the last few weeks, we've changed how we, uh, what we're doing just before we're going out. We're actually taking time to stop and wait for the Holy Spirit. And we pray in tongues and we ask God to anoint our understanding and help us to have words that we may be able to speak boldly that we may be able to speak boldly in the spirit as we go. Take a big breath. I'm slowing up. Actually, I do want you to take a big breath. Jesus paused with his disciples before Acts chapter 2 Jesus did something to his disciples. In John chapter 20 and verses 21 and 22, it says, Jesus said to them, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I send you. And then in verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Just imagine for a moment, you're one of Jesus' disciples. He pauses and with his nice olive and garlic breath, Receive the Holy Spirit. Breathe in. If you want to receive more of the Holy Spirit, breathe in. Breathe in. Receive the Holy Spirit. We're a Pentecostal church. We believe in the power of Pentecost. We believe the Holy Spirit came for us in Acts chapter 2 to change the dimension of, this, of our lives. That Jesus returned to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God. But the Holy Spirit is present here and now. In, in John chapter 20, it's like he created the channel. But in Acts chapter 2, it was confirmed by the transmission of the Holy Spirit in a massive and momentous way. In Acts chapter 2, of course, we read, When the day of Pentecost had fully come... They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And of course it was only the sound. It wasn't, there weren't trees moving. It was the sound. It was the sound of the spirit coming in a mighty and rushing way. Because it was the the dawn of a new era. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them the divided tongues as of fire. And of course, to the Jews, they understood the significance of this to the burning bush, the the pronouncement of God's presence. And the tongues sat on them. And I don't know whether there were little licks of flame up here, as you see in some of the paintings, or a flame upon them from the ground up. But they they were empowered by the Holy Spirit from that moment. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So we're a Pentecostal church. We're people who have been touched by the Spirit of God. But what happens if we stop using the language of the Holy Spirit? The language we were given. What implications does that have? 
There are three ways that tongues are used in the, in the body as explained in Acts, and Russ covered them a couple of weeks ago. Firstly, in Acts chapter 2, we have one, well, people talking in their mother tongue, but the crowd around them from many nations is hearing in their mother tongue what is being said. An unbelievable supernatural event. And they, all of a sudden, those people are saying, hey, this is a message for me. This is not just a message for those people in that room. This is a message for us. In the second expression, in 1 Corinthians 12, we see people speaking in an unknown language, but it is interpreted. And we've had that in, in the services here. Someone will come up and use the microphone and speak in a tongue. And someone says, I understand what that means. And they give the interpretation of that. And it's a message to the body to encourage them. Thirdly is the 1 Corinthians 14 message, which is where we do it in our private way or in our worship and prayer, where we're speaking in tongues that no interpretation is required, but we feel our lives being strengthened, edified, built up. And this is where I want to speak to us today. Let us not lose the language of the Holy Spirit so we lose the ability to strengthen our lives. Let's not walk away from the very Holy Spirit that we were given to help us move forward in our life in faith, that we don't have to use just defensive weapons, but we also have the ability to use offensive weapons. God gave us a new language, and if we lose it, we lose his culture. Because language and culture are linked. Did you know that in the natural world, one language disappears every 14 days? Since 1950 up to 2010, 230 languages were lost. With those goes their whole culture. I saw a picture of four Aboriginal women sitting in a cluster. They were the last ones speaking this particular language in the Northern Territory. When they die... All the significance of the terms, the language, the heritage, the culture disappears. Is that what meant to happen in the church? That we're meant to lose the language of the Holy Spirit and lose the culture of the kingdom of heaven? No, I don't believe it is. Native tongues get often lost to cultural colonisation. In other words, another culture becomes more dominant, more predominant and takes over and the language that we and the culture we were given diminishes. And I think it's time that we understood that we have a tongue that we were given that is equipping for the church, for the kingdom of heaven. In Nehemiah chapter 13, this is at the end of the book of Nehemiah. They've built the wall and here's a summary of what happened just after that. In those days I saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Astod and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one or other people. So I contended with them, cursed them, struck them and pulled out their hair. So look out. <laughs> and I made them swear by God, saying as the wives to their sons, not take their daughters for their sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him, who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. 
Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. Should we even hear of you doing all this great evil, transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? Now, I'm not actually here to talk about you marrying pagan women. But the principle of this is that the children started to integrate into the culture around them and all of a sudden they're speaking another language. What happens if we get a whole generation of children that don't even know that there is a language of the Holy Spirit? How does a child know that there is a language of the Holy Spirit? They hear it from us. They hear it from us. We are in a similar danger if we lose this language, given and enabled by the Holy Spirit. We need to give and pass it on to the next generation. If our children don't learn the language of the Holy Spirit, then they lose all the benefits of the kingdom of heaven's culture. They, learn, they lose the ability to communicate about his kingdom. They lose direction on how to use his power over darkness. And they fade in their worship. We need to give every child and teenager the ability to speak in their heavenly language so as the Holy Spirit enables them. And I want to encourage us, if God is moving you to resurrect or to reinstate your use of the gift of the Holy Spirit, enabling, enablement from him through tongues, then it's time. Today is the day to take it to another level. This is a language that any person can speak which will build them up and keep them following God in difficult times. You know, one of the things about speaking in tongues is the first one you can lay your hands on quickly. If you're in a defensive situation, if you've got a thought that comes in to destroy some aspect of your faith, if you've got some thought that comes in to lead you into temptation... Holy Spirit, fight it in the spirit because what you're facing is a spiritual thought, a spiritual warfare thought. It's come as a battle against you to take away your reliance and trust in God. I encourage you to lift up your voices in the Holy Spirit and reuse the very enablement we were given. We want our children to see God in them alive. We want them to be passionately in love with them, with Him. We want um, them obeying Jesus' words, encouraging others. How? Using the Holy Spirit that they hear from you. The other thing that you can learn about the Holy Spirit is, is speaking in tongues is it is an encrypted language. On my phone, on WhatsApp, it tells me that my language, my communication is end-to-end encrypted. No one can intercept it. When I speak in tongues, I'm speaking in a language to the Father. It's encrypted. He knows what I'm saying. And he responds back through the Holy Spirit and builds me up and edifies me. It's, It's encrypted so that it cannot be intercepted. I actually have the ability to, uh, it might be delayed as happened uh, back in uh, Daniel's time. There might be a spiritual warfare to try and divert that word. But the message that's coming is not changed. The message is whole from God. 
If you want to praise God, if you want to hear him, if you want to ask him for anything, no one can intercept your word in, in speaking in tongues in the Holy Spirit. Jude 1 verse 20 says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. You will keep your faith alive as you rely on the Holy Spirit and speak through the language he gave you. I think men have given up the battle for souls. I've just trodden on toes. I heard that expression in this church. I think men have given up battling for souls. And the reason I say that is because in that great commission in John chapter 20, he breathed on them, uh, before he breathed on them, he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I send you. The reason why I think men have given up that battle is because they're lost in their own personal battles for victory. And they're not using the weapons that have been put into our hands and in our mouth. So men and women, I encourage us, don't lose the battle. By putting down the weapons that God has put in you, in your faith and in your mouth, speak the language of heaven. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3 says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. Oh, I might actually get the team to come back up. Sorry. Um, We do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds. What I'm sharing with you is not theory. What I'm sharing with you is practical. And it is testimony. When you think there's a stronghold coming against you, you need to use what God has given us, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Speak his language. Every time an unholy thought comes into your mind, speak in tongues to challenge the power of the natural and bring it into the supernatural. Speaking in tongues long enough brings scripture to mind, as Jesus did in his temptation. The Holy Spirit brought the appropriate word of God to defend his faith, to allow him to walk, even though he was socially isolated and physically hungry, the Holy Spirit helped him with the right word. And the Holy Spirit drops words in our spirit. And I know that. I've experienced it even this week. Something came to mind and I was praying and and speaking in tongues and then the word of God dropped in. One that I had not thought about for a long time. It was the right word. So let's come to the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, 26, likewise the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray For as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Not English, 
but emotional language. It says, Lord, this is the state of my heart. Would you, would, you, would you come for me? Would you intercede for me? Would you bring me what I need now to get through this particular thing? Now, he who searches the heart knows the mind of the, what, what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. When I'm confused, when I'm not sure what to do, pray in tongues. Ask the Holy Spirit to manifest himself through you and he will lead you and give you the will of God because it'll come clearer in your mind. It'll, from spirit to mind, not mind to spirit, but from his spirit through to my mind. And I'll have a changed thought. I'll have a changed pattern. I'll have a renewed mind. Tongues does give us a strategic advantage in an encrypted warfare language. I want to encourage us, we're going to have a, a song, I don't know what they're going to play, but lift up your voices in tongues. Use what God has given us. And it also says there, in our spiritual warfare, we're keeping an eye out for one another. If you're speaking in tongues and you notice the person isn't next to you, isn't. Maybe they don't know tongues yet. Don't coach them. Just pray over them in tongues. Release a tongue to them. Release God's gift. But primarily, it's not about us just trying to gain tongues. It's about asking the Holy Spirit to fill us with His presence and let it manifest out in the way that He leads us. We'll, we'll do that and then maybe we'll wrap up in a minute.